lot of ministries that take care of people and do good things and do a lot of charitable things. Those are very good things. But as far as speaking with power and authority, and uh, I said before the interruption here that this series has gotten me more uh, text and comments, many, many favorable and several uh, angry, and so be it. Because this is the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, I'll tell anybody, straight face, point and look at you, talk to you, eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, here's what I want to tell you. You obey, you obey the Christ or it's not going to go well. If you want to live and say you're a Christian and live like a non-believer and believe that God is all enthusiastic about your lifestyle, you're just not thinking straight. And you know what that actually is? That's demonic influence. Oh, you get people say, hey, no, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. Hey, really, is that godly what you're doing? Is that a Holy Spirit influence what you're doing? Now, you don't talk to me that way. You don't say those things to me. You think you're going to stand before Christ and say, I knew what the thing was that you wanted from me. I chose deliberately something else, and he's going to be all giddy about your life. Well, I say this to your benefit and mine. It's a matter of rewards. Do you want to be rewarded by the king or not when you meet him at the judgment seat, the beam of seat? Do you want to be rewarded by this king? And it's all about this. And this is where people fall out with me. This is where the comments come from. You are not grateful. And I am not grateful when I decide to live outside his plan for me. Because you know what? And in today's world in particular, we're finding people say this, but I'm really smart. I went to lunch with a man not long ago, and, and he said, I, I, I don't want to come to church anymore with you. And I said, well, I've heard that a lot of times. That's not news. And he said, I don't want to come. You almost persuade me every Sunday. I have to go and talk myself back out of what you were saying. And I say, why is that? He said, because I'm smart, and my brother's really smart, and we're smart, and uh, I got my plans in life. I've got plans. I'm smart. Uh, the university said I'm smart. My dad's known as a smart man. And I said, when did he turn to Christ? He said, we just, we just can't do that. And I said, I see no smart here. I see no smart here. Trust me, you'll lose friends with that language very quickly. I'm not making fun, but listen, you're not smarter than God. You don't know more about the future than God. You don't have a love deeper and a purpose more profound than what Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you and me. I'm telling you this, he puts you in your home, in your place, in your in your time frame, in your genetic line, at the particular time that he wanted you to be born there. Now, what did that do to the unborn? What does that do? You take it where you want to. I'm telling you this. Jesus said, I come to give life. Well, I believe that. I believe that. And so if his purpose and his stated purpose is I came to give life, when someone wants to take life, who are they working for? What camp are they in? Oh, no, now I'll tell you. It's okay, and it needs to happen to these things. Really? Is that right? I'm the eighth born of nine, and I'm glad my mother didn't believe in getting rid of everything after three. Of course, I'd have gone right home, but it would have been a problem for her, my dad. So, we have the introduction. 
Now we have the illumination of the king. And so we're in Mark and, and uh, chapter 1. We look down verse 21. We see Jesus had just called four disciples. He called Peter first. Simon is his name. That's Peter. And Andrew in verse 16. And they just forsook all the Bible says and came to him. And immediately he went a little farther and he saw James, John, and they straightway, verse 20, they left and went. And so you have four disciples now, four of the twelve now called the early days, the ministry of Jesus Christ. And listen now, what I want to, take, what I want to do with you and me and, and uh, in this gospel of Mark, and the commentators and the historians say this is the gospel according to Peter, written in the hand of Mark. Mark was his scribe. This is basically Mark who followed Peter around. He heard Peter's sermons. He was with Peter. He lived with Peter. He was with Peter. This is basically the gospel according to Peter, written by Mark, transcribed by Mark. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is gospel. It is the word of God. And so we're going to look at this, if you will, with me, off and on, through the eyes of Peter. And so Peter gets saved. Peter gets called. And he responds, and he comes. Now, Matthew and Mark have almost identical passages concerning the call of the four disciples. Last week, we went to Luke chapter, or Luke chapter 5, and Luke says it's different. It's all inspired of the Spirit. It gives more information. Peter and the other three were, were washing their nets. Jesus walked by and said to Peter, I want to use your boat. Peter said, okay. And... Jesus launched out a bit, and he preached a sermon, uh, preached the word of God, borrowed Peter's boat. They were pressing him on the shore, and so he launched out. Apparently, very good acoustics, but he preached a sermon from the boat. When he came back in, he said, now, Peter, cast your net over there on that side of the boat. Peter said, we've been here all night. We have been here fishing all night, and probably a little undertone of, hey, we're fishermen, by the way. This is what we do. Are you, are you smarter than God in your profession? <laughs> Peter, Peter was. Jesus said, well, just cast the net on that side of the boat. And immediately the net was filled so much that it began to break. Chapter 5 of Luke, verse 11 verses. The net began to break so that they called John over. He called John over his partner, John and James, and they, they took the haul in. Peter immediately fell on Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, oh, I'm a sinful man. Go get somebody else. Call somebody else. I'm not worthy of being your, your disciple. Now, that adds some flavor to it, doesn't it? We're going to look at this book of Mark through Peter's eyes. And so Peter gets called, and we see that uh, the Lord uses his boat, and he uses it for better than, Paul, than Peter did twice in a row. He used it to preach the word of God. He used it to fish from and really get a net full. And Peter says, oh, depart from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. You ever felt like that? It's called Sunday after the sermon for every preacher I know. It's called, uh, I said what I shouldn't have said at the workplace because my co-worker drives me insane. And I'm trying, Lord, but... That one just slipped out. Now, was it true? Yeah, that Lord said, I'm not asking if it was true or not. I've never done this. I'm looking for you people today. 
I, I say this morning, uh, it is true, isn't it? It comes out sometimes. Your flesh says, yeah, no, not today. I've taken this from you, and uh, no, not today. And that just fires them up for the next two months. It just fires them up. Now I, I got their goat. I got them. I want to get them some more. And the Lord says, that's what happens. However, know this, there is also truthful rebuke that needs to happen. That's the Christ life of discernment. Is it time to say something, and what spirit am I saying it in? There are times when it needs to be said. You know that. And, and, you know, and you know that because when you walk away, you don't feel dirty. You don't feel like going to your prayer chamber. You feel like going, oh, boy, that's okay. That's out there now. We'll see what happens, and you pray about it. Anybody agree with that? Anybody have workers like that around them? I know. Yeah, I work together. I know this thing. We have Peter now called, sees himself already as failing, and look what happened immediately now, verse 21. Immediately said they went into the they went into Capernaum, and straightway immediately on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. He said he came to preach, but the first thing he did was uh, with his disciples was teach. Now what's the difference? Nothing. <laughs> Preaching and teaching are the same. It's getting the word of God to the people, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. You see, us has been supplied. Let, let alone, but what have we to do with thee, thou son of Nazareth, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of it. And come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, he cried with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves. Other versions say they quarreled. They had a great discussion with even quarreling, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Now, we're looking, at, we're looking at this ministry through Peter's eyes. We don't find it in, in Mark. We find it in Luke that Peter had heard a sermon or two. Jesus had been preaching. He came and said, now I want to use your boat to preach in. Peter said, help yourself. And so Peter hears the word of God. He hears it firsthand, straight up. Jesus right there teaching the word of God. Had he heard in person the sermons before? I don't know. This one, Peter was there using his boat. He had an interest in it. He's listening to Jesus preach. Is there a better preacher ever been in this world? No. He is. He's the topic. He's the sermon. He's everything. He is the word of God personified. He's teaching the word of God. Is there a better time to hear the message? No. Peter hears the truth. And you know this, and I know this. When you hear the truth, your spirit knows if you're hearing the truth or not. And so you either identify and say, well, I'm so glad that's true, or else you get mad and say, I'm, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Well, you cry out like the unclean spirit because you have one. 
and you start saying, I'm not going to, I don't believe, I'm not doing that. Or else your spirit in a truck with the spirit of God says, amen, that's true, that's true. Now, when you get to a place in your Christian life where you read it and it's contrary to what you're doing, it's backwards to you, you're living outside of that, but the command is clear and you say, oh, I need to change some things there. You're growing in Christ. You don't, you don't stand up and rebuke the Lord and say, I know you. I know what you've come to do here. You've come, and Christians, quote, unquote, tell me, they want me to have any fun. I'm telling you, to know the will of God for your life and live contrary is saying with your life, more than your mouth, I know better than God for me. A man said across the table, I just said, and told me, I can't come to church anymore because every time I leave, I'm almost convinced, and i got to talk myself out of your sermon. And when I asked him why, he said, because I'm smart. My brother's smart, my dad's smart, we're smart, and I have my plans, and I've done my schooling, and I'm on my way in this world, and you're trying to talk me out of doing what I want to do. Well, can I tell you this? That's not smart. But when you know God's plan for your life and not going to do it, you're saying to God, I'm smarter than you. I know more about it than you do. We're going to do it this way. Now, that offends people to the core. Please, be offended. Be offended so much that you can't rest and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you upon your bed. Be offended. Be very deeply offended if you're telling God, I know more about it than you do. And when I hear the gospel preached, I'm going to scream. The demon in me that's harassing me is going to scream. I'm not putting up with it. I will not hear that. Is a demon at least harassment? Now, we live in a day when people tell me and other ministers, I could care less. There's no such thing as demon possession. That's a, that's a day gone by. Folks, watch the news. Look across your back fence. Listen to the people that you work with. Look in the mirror real strong and say, now, why do I believe this? Now, <laughs> why do I believe this? It's real. And I'm going to preach until the day I can't preach anymore because I've lived it. I know it. I see it. I recognize it. And I'm fighting it. The demon's hell has been unleashed. Hell has been opened. The demons are here. And I'll tell you how we know. Perfect example of how we know. They are now giving their agenda straight up and people are not bucking it. They're giving their agenda straight up, straight out. Just the way the Bible says it will be presented to the world, and it probably has majority behind it. If we live, if this generation lives itself out in any kind of peace for the kingdom of God, it will be, mark my words, God's doing. Who comes and who goes and who helps and who hinders is going to be God's doing. It so angers the enemy and so riles them up because they have a plan and they have this and they have that. But when God says it's going to go the way I say, they can't even believe it, let alone accept it. Acceptance comes from belief. Acceptance comes from belief. They will, they will not accept it. They do not believe it. We had a plan. And, you know what, and by the way, you know why they can't believe it? They're smart. They are just genius. Now, I'm not putting a name on it, and you have to find out in your mind, in your heart, in your life, who that is. But I'm telling you, I believe 
from my years and study time, from being around people absolutely possessed to those who are at least harassed, the demonic influence and movement in our country alone, I know it's worldwide, it's, it's 50, 60, 70 fold what it was five years ago in my, in my ministry. It's unleashed, and they believe they're smart. And so we have this, which is amazing, the demon. What is a demon doing in church? What is a demon doing in church? Jesus went, he began to teach in the synagogue, and there was one there with an unclean spirit. You think that's not true in every church in every town? You think that's different? I'm telling you, there are Sundays that I preach, and it's easy. There are Sundays that's like I'm screaming into a bag of cotton balls. There are people who bring spirits in. Even in this congregation, it's happened. People who bring a spirit in. And man, it's war. It is war. I know you. I know who you are. You know, it's not until the middle of this gospel. It's not until the middle of this gospel that the disciples start calling him the, the child of God, the son of God, the holy one of God. Isn't that interesting? The demons know it, and the other people don't. Peter calls uh, Jesus the holy one of God somewhere over in the middle to the late parts of this of this book. He's watching. Now, here's my point this morning. Peter is called and, and uh, he's humiliated. He's humble. And so uh, we see that as Peter's disturbed and then he's, uh, his life is disrupted. I'm a man, I'm a, that's what I do. I'm Peter. Everybody knows me. I'm a fisherman. The Lord says, I'll tell you how to fish. And then he adds one little twist on there and says, but I'll make you catch men. You want you want something worth catching? We'll go from smelly fish to smelly men. I'm going to take you to another place. I'll have you, Peter. If you come with me, I'll have you catching men. Now think of that. Think of that. And so Peter goes, oh, my life. I grew up probably a, probably a family line because, you see, uh, James and John are with their father Zebedee. I mean, they left their father with the hired hands. It's a family business, probably generations deep that Peter said, hey, fishing is what we do. I don't do much else. Because you find in the, in the uh, early chapters of Acts that, that John and Peter went up to worship and a blind beggar was asking for alms and Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what you see there is the Pharisees took note of them noting that they were ignorant and unlearned men. It said they were perceived they were ignorant and unlearned men and took knowledge of them. And so I'm telling you this about being smart. Be very careful that you don't let your ideas of being smart override the truth and obedience to Christ. There's nothing wrong with being smart. As a matter of fact, if you're smart, God gave you those smarts. And you have enough moxie to implement the smarts you got. But I'm telling you this, make me a friend or foe. When you stand before the Lord one day, you're going to find out how smart you are. You're going to find out just how smart you were. You know what smart is in the Bible? Here I am. What would you have me to do? Oh, that's the servant. That's smart. The greatest of all, the Lord said just before his death, will be the servant of all. The greatest of all will be the servant of all. That's brilliance. 
was smart. And so we go to the 21st verse again. It says he went through Capernaum straightway. And again, it was a Sabbath day, and he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished. That's amazed. And some, uh, this word is uh, translated in some places. They, they were uh, frightened, terrorized by his gospel. It said they were astonished here, and it says it in most places. Some Bibles and some other translations say they were terrorized by his sermon. You want to know why? There's a disturbing presence when Christ is there. It disturbs people. It disturbs the spirit of man. And it sure disturbs the spirit of Satan. The men were astonished. They were amazed. They were disturbed. But you know who else was so disturbed? And these have to say stuff. The demons have to say something. They have to get their tongue involved with their lack of mind, brain power. They have to start talking. I know what you're trying to do. I see it. Oh, I see what you're trying to do. Oh, do you? Do you? And you see here what they did? They said, are you come to destroy us? Now, not only did the demons know who Christ was, they knew what he was capable of. And here's the thing. Now listen. What does John 10 and verse 10 say? The devil cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that right? That's what it says. But Jesus said, but I have come to give life and to give it more abundantly. You know what that is? Steal, kill, and destroy. Give life abundantly. That's exactly the opposite. Satan sends his minions, his demons. And when you look up this word right here, this unclean spirit, you'll find it's a demon. It's a little devil. Small d devil. There's a little devil in church that day. There's a little devil in church a lot of days. There's a little devil in church a lot of days. What did you do yesterday? What have you done this week? What have I done? There's a lot of there's demons that come to church pretty often. Listen now. And you take this across the board to what I'm teaching you this morning. Here is what you get. The demons. The, those influenced by demons. Here's what they do. They accuse you of doing what they're doing. You get that? Here's what demons do. The influence of demons is this. They will always accuse you of doing what they're doing. What did they come for? To kill, steal, and destroy. And he said, oh, did you come to destroy? That's what you're doing. The Lord said, shut up. By the way, I know it's not nice, but uh, I don't care much about nice. When he said, here, hold your peace, the real original language in the Aramaic says, shut up. Jesus said to the demons, shut up. They started quivering and sniveling and whining. They come in there. Why do they come for? Why do demons come to church? Well, they come clearly to distract, don't they? They want to distract from the word. They want to distract from you getting it, from me understanding it. They want to distract. I'm telling you, sometimes in this, even in this little church here, it's been very tense on Sunday morning preaching. They've been here. They come. Now, if they're really Christians, it's just influence. It's their lifestyle. And when you live and when you decide to live outside God's plan and purpose for your life, you're allowing demons in. You're allowing demons to come and just harass and harass. 
and they, and they talk to you. They deceive you. And they'll make you believe. You can justify your behavior somehow even before God. But when you go to the house of worship and the word is spoken and the Holy Spirit's moving among his children, you're going to be disturbed now. He's going to disturb you. I've seen people set like they have fire ants in their boxers. I've seen people set like they have something wrong with their zipper. I'm telling you, I've, set, I've watched them. They move back and forth. They can't uh, sit still. They throw their head. They roll their eyes. They gasp and they throw their Bible around. They throw it on one side and then the other, maybe the floor. Stare at the ceiling. Cross their arms. And I want to walk back and say, what is your name? What is your name? But you see, this man says, this man speaking says, let us alone. And he's not talking about the congregation. He's talking about he and the demon, at least one demon. Let us alone. You see what he says there in, in uh, verse 24. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? And then they make proclamation, I know thee. I know thee. I'll tell you something out of the book of James. Out of the book of James in the second chapter. Now James after Hebrews there. Hebrews and James in chapter 2. It says in verse 18 of James chapter 2. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Well, that's a lot of words, isn't it? But listen to this. Thou believest there is one God. This is James. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? How much good did it do for these demons to know who Jesus was? They knew who he was before the crowd knew who he was. They knew who he was before the disciples knew who he was. But it profited them nothing because they refused to worship him. And as I understand the Bible, they may not have had the ability. They may have already made that choice. That may be why they're demons. Isn't that interesting? They called Jesus by name and told him his abilities and were afraid that he was going to do to them what they came to do. They were used to coming, now they were used to coming to the uh, synagogue when the, when the scribes were preaching. What did they lack? What did the scribes lack that upset this demon so bad? They lacked authority. They said he came and preached different than the scribes. He preached with one having authority. You want to know who has authority in the word of God? A person who's affirmed of God, empowered of the spirit and living the life that Christ called them. I'm not saying perfectly. I'm not saying perfectly. No one does that. I'm saying a heart that wants to live for God, that wants to teach the word of God, wants to live before others in a way to show who God is. That's why Jesus said to the demon in this passage and the following passages, get out of him and shut up. He doesn't want, listen now, listen carefully now, he doesn't want the witness of a demon. I've said this so many times in this building and outside this building. You can live in such a way. You can behave and act in such a way 
that your witness becomes a negative to Christ. Do you believe it? You can act and live in, in, in such a way that uh, if people will look at you and say, if that's being a Christian, I don't want to be one. Christ didn't want the uh, press. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want the witness from the demons. We know who you are. You're the son of God. And what do you think Jesus will turn and go, see, hear that? You hear that? This demon knows who I am. That is not the witness Jesus would take. He even got mad at the people following him. He said, you believe me for the miracles. Trust me because the word is true and has power. Don't believe me because I feed you every day. Not about your belly. It's about your soul. And he says, I don't want this. Now listen. Here's what happens. And here are the people who cry out in church. Living contrary to the word of God, their witness is horrible. And yet they won't buy that. I forward on my telephone verses from time to time. Well, whoopsie, you know what? Move over, Paul. We've got us a super saint. From time to time, I Facebook and say something very hateful to those people I don't like. Because I am a Christian. You don't know how nasty I can get. I'm not even sure. I amaze myself from time to time. Because I am a Christian. Well, what's your life look like? You can't control your relationships, your mouth, your tongue, or your checkbook. And you know what? That's not, that's not what Jesus came to do. He did not come to show the world how ugly his kids can be and still be part of the family. His power is shown by people who love him, obey him, and their life has a peace about it. They carry themselves. They move in this world. And the thing that disturbs them is not what they don't have. It's what others won't take. Do you get that? What disturbs a real, honest, Christ-following Christian is not what they don't have. It's what others won't take. Why won't you take the Word of God and live it? Why does everything out of your mouth have to be a whine instead of a praise? Why is nothing going your way in this whole world? Dude, you're going the wrong direction. You're not a salmon. Quit swimming against the tide so hard. Go with the purpose of your life. Go with what God called you to do. And when someone who cares about you points out the fact that you're, you turned around, you're going the wrong way again, don't write them off. Consider. Consider. I've had so many times in my life to tone down. <laughs> believe that? I've had to tone down because I believe it with everything in me. I have a passion for the truth of it. But my, flag, my flesh doesn't want to put up with much in the opposition. And here's what I'm saying. As a minister, it's ten times worse because they come to me asking me, what can I do to help myself? And when I say turn around, I'm the bad guy. About that point, I just usually tell them what the truth is. Because I'm wrong. I'm telling you, the world, even many, many Christians, or at least professing Christians, do not want to hear the truth. Here's when you know you're growing. Here's when you know you're grateful. Here's when you know that you're headed for glory. Is when you hear the truth, contrary to what you're doing, and you say, thank you, Lord, for telling me. Thank you for telling me. I needed to know that. This is hard. My life is so hard, God. Why is it so hard? The Christian life is not hard. 
outside of the pain and sorrow of watching loved ones and people you care deeply about just abandon the truth. That's hard. I remember as a little boy, I remember as a young Christian, young boy, hearing sermons and then reading the Bible myself to what I could understand in the Psalms and reading the Apostle Paul and saying, why are they always whining about things? Paul said these things are hard to bear. He didn't say the stripes, the beatings, they killed me. He didn't say that was hard to bear. He said, I preach to these people that are hurting themselves and they turn away from God and it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. Now, the world doesn't call that love, but that's all that love really is. You see, the passion is what we have for the Christ. Compassion is what we have for other people who don't get it. It's compassion to tell them one more time. One more time. You know why it's not going well? Do you know why it's not going well? Well, the Lord says if you do these things, it'll go well. Now, let's see where the problem lies. Let's, do, let's get a committee and get about $100,000 and do a life study and see what's going wrong here. Don't have to do it. The word is true. The Lord is true. We are false. Now, does living in God's plan make your life just a bed of roses? No. No, 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 no. Not true. Not true. But you don't whine about it. You don't, you don't say that. Know what's going wrong here. You know what's, you know what's going wrong. The world, the flesh, and the devil are contrary to the Spirit of God. And folks, you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, and the war is on. You're now in a war zone. You're now on the battlefield. You're now, and, and you know, you can't take Sundays off, and you can't go on vacation away from the war zone. Are you to play and have fun with your family? Absolutely. Are you to enjoy your family and, and go out and do things and be out on the water and be yes? Are you to go and relax and and find a time of family enjoyment? Yes. Are you still on the war field? Yes. Satan hates the family. He hates in particular the Christian family. And he'll divide you. Oh, he'll divide you. If you let him. Does it make sense to anybody? Does this make sense to anybody? The first thing Peter saw when he became a disciple was a Jesus teaching in the synagogue and an unclean spirit. How would you like someone to stand up today and start screaming like that in here? What would you do? Give you something to talk about. If someone stood up right now in this building or outside, they might be outside, I don't know. But if they, if they stood up in here during a sermon and started screaming, pointing fingers, telling me, telling you, what would you do? Jesus said, shut up. You shut up and come out of him. Now, that's all there is to it. There's authority. He told him to shut up. I at least, come on, give me credit. I at least step outside to say it. I go clear out on the concrete before I tell people that. Folks, it hasn't changed. Through Peter's eyes, he followed this Christ. He walked away from his nets and his boats and his income. He walked away from everything. And Jesus, they went around. You look at your Bible, go around. He went around the lake there a little bit. They went around the lake, and they came to this town, went to the synagogue. It was the Sabbath day, and Christ began to teach. And his teaching was so different that the people were afraid, and the demons started screaming. What's the difference? 
What's the difference from last synagogue Sabbath? What's the difference? What's the difference from the routine that people were used to going in there and listening to a scribe talk about the traditions of men? And Jesus said, we're not talking about traditions today. We're talking about relationship. You either repent and come to the kingdom or you're going to go burn in hell. Christ preached hell seven times more than anybody else in the Bible. This loving, gentle Jesus told about hell seven times more than anybody else in the in the Bible. Now, does that make sense to you? He began to teach. It says in verse 21 that he's taught. It says in verse 22 he taught, and an unclean spirit couldn't take it. I'll go back and I. I hope you have this underlined in your Bible. I hope you have this reference ready for yourself. It's Nehemiah chapter eight. Nehemiah chapter 8, when I discovered this as a young person, it really became uh, my life study as a preacher when I felt called and feel called to the ministry. Nehemiah chapter 8, it says Ezra there. You see what he did? In verse 2, it says Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And verse 3, it says, and he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood that was made for that purpose. Verse 5 says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Verse 6, Bless the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, you see, this is worship. This is what happens in true synagogue, in true, uh, what we call church, what we call the sanctuary, the real definition of sanctuary. This is not a sanctuary city. This is a sanctuary from the world that we can come in here and find peace and respite to get away from the world and come together as God's children with one heart and worship the true and living God. And so this is the recipe for a pastor, for a congregation he said he blessed the Lord in verse 6, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. It says in verse 8, so they read the book of the law of God distinctly. Read the word distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That one verse, the Spirit of God told me, is my life call. Stand before the people. Read the word of God distinctly. Cause you to understand and gain the sense of it. Do you get the sense of the word of God this morning? Am I doing it? Am I helping you? Uh, he sure helps me. Now he said in verse 10, he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. That's what the people want to do. And verse 12 says this, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions to make mirth because they had understood the words and that were declared to them. You want joy? Uh, you're not going to buy it. If you're a, a Christian, you want joy? You're not going to buy it. You're not going to own it. You're not going to build it. You're going to receive it. Why? Because you understand the word of God being read distinctly, and you get the sense of it. 
I'll tell you what it will do to you. It'll unfit you to live in this world. You'll have to get real close to the Lord and ask why, 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 why? At least that's my life. Why, Lord, why? Why do people hear the truth? Why do people who are suffering and they're at war with themselves destroying their own lives day by day with their poor decisions? Why do when you give them the truth, they will not accept it and turn? Why? 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 <laughs> my whole life. That's my world now. I live that world saying, I showed them the truth. The Bible is the truth. It doesn't come from me. The Lord blesses me at every turn. He pours it on me. That's the, beside the point. I'm telling you he'll pour it on them if they'll just turn, but they will not. People will not turn. Why? What is wrong? They believe they're going to stand before God and say, I had a, I had a better way, I had a better plan. How is it better? And why are you coming to me for advice? Why do you want counsel from anybody if you're not willing to take the counsel and at least give it a shot? I don't get this. I don't get people hearing and seeing the plan of God and seeing, here what Peter did. Take it how you want. There are like seven verses here that say this. His whole life just went out the window when one, one uh, yes, I'll, okay. He said, okay, and everything he ever was or did was gone. I'm following this guy. And then Jesus took him down the road and said, you know where you're following me? He said, oh, I know. He said, no, you don't. He said, you know what? Finally, on the last the 21st of John, he says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now, look at the chronology of, uh, of Peter's life. He was up and down and in and out, and he is my hero. He spoke before he thought most of the time. Man, I love to read Peter. He'd open his mouth and stick his foot in it, and the Lord said, no, Peter, you're wrong on that one, to the point where he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know from that reading if he was talking to Peter or Satan, honestly, but he's told Peter, who do men say that I am? He asked Peter, who do men say I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, boy, you got that right. But you didn't get it right. God told you. That didn't come from flesh. It came from the Spirit of God. The next verse, the next statement, Jesus said, Now I must go and die. And Peter said, Oh, that shall not be, Lord. Never will you die. And the Lord turned around, rebuking him, said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You savor the things of men, not the things of God. And such is Peter's life, up and down, up and down, up and down. What is that? He, in the disturbance, he was called. In the disruption, he had to learn. And we all do. Why? So in the definition of who he is, he could write scripture for us. Now we need to, we need to close on this passage in, I want to do this for you very very quickly and try to be succinct. And so we're looking through Peter's eyes and this Peter who fell on Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, I'm a wicked, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, O Lord, O God. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. We've all been there. If you're an honest Christian, if you are a Christian and you're an honest Christian, you felt that way. Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep falling down? Why do I do these things? I don't want to. But that person made me mad. They're hard to work with. We go to 2 Peter in chapter 1. Let me read this to you very quickly. This is the defined Peter at the end of all of it. He's the one who, when the Lord said, he said, well, Lord said, I'm going to die. And he said, if you die, I'll die with you. 
And Lord said, no, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And he did exactly that. And he went out and wept bitterly. But you find him now when the church comes. You find Peter preaching and 5,000 converted. Then you hear Peter say to Ananias and Sapphira, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? And both of them dropped dead. Something happened to Peter. He was now defined. He was defined. He was disrupted. After he was disturbed, he got disrupted. He followed the Christ through his ministry years, and then he became defined. And he said this now. This is the progressive equation of the Christian life. Verse uh, 1, chapter 1 of 2 Peter and verse 3. He says, according as his divine, his godly power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now that's a statement all by us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's divine power hath, past tense, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue? Glory is a worshipful attitude. Virtue is moral excellence. Moral excellence. That means pay your taxes. That means do what's right. Do what's right when uh, you can do what's wrong and get away with it. Because God's watching. Whereby are given to us exceeding and great and precious promises that by these you might be. It doesn't say you have to be, and most of us are not. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You ever notice a real Christian, a Christian who really settles it? They don't want the stuff anymore. You see what God does? The Spirit of God does? All that stuff that you want when you're unsaved because you're not fulfilled and you think that'll do it. If I live at this address and drive this and, and have this and have that, and I'll tell you, the people are not happy. But we, escape, we have escaped in Christ the corruption that's in the world through lust. We don't just have to have, have to have, have to have. We know we already got. We already have it. Why is the church asleep as the world today? Now listen, this is the equation. It's an addition. It's an equation. It's an addition. It says this, and besides this. He makes this statement, you already have everything you need, so just be glad. And he says, and besides this now, besides this, here's what your life should be. Now this is a progressive movement. And I believe it's like a ladder or a stairway that you can't, you cannot not do the first three things or the first three rungs and go up the ladder. You can't skip the first three stairs and go up the stairway. This is a progressive movement in the Christian life. And when you get this part down, then you're ready to go up and do this part. You get this next one down, you're ready to go up a little bit. Here's what he says now. And beside this, giving all diligence, I mean, man, get after it. Add to, this is, a, this is an equation, add to, plus sign, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to add to knowledge, temperance. And add to temperance, patience. And add to patience, godliness. And add to godliness, brotherly kindness. And add to brotherly kindness, charity, which is love. For if these things, if these things, you might be partakers. And if these things uh, be in you and abound, They'll make you that you should neither, neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see it? It's a progressive equation. 
of the Christian life. He says, man, do you know this? Straight up, do you know this? You've already been given everything you need. You've already escaped the corruption of this world through the lust of the flesh. Now, build that life. This is the Peter who fell down to the Lord's knees at the beginning of his discipleship with Christ. This is the Peter who was facing his own death because of who he was in Christ saying, this is the Christian life. It's an equation. It's an equation. Do you get it? Folks, I pray to God this is not monotonous to you, but it is life-changing if you get it. It is life-changing if you get it. You are in Christ this morning. You have all that you need. All that you need. The daily necessities, he says, I know about those. I know those. One day I was in my study, and I came across the verse, and it said this, Be of good cheer. Be of good comfort, little flock. It's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants you to have it. <laughs> he came and died so you can have it. And Peter says after the death of Christ and just before his own crucifixion it was, he said, you've already got it. Now that right. This morning, are you are you glad that he's in charge? I'm facing a hostile world that is not happy with Christ in charge. They don't want anything about him in charge. And guess what? Too bad. He'll be in charge until the day that he says, I'm going to give it over. The Antichrist is coming. The world is going to get really, really bad. Where are you going to stand? We're going to find out. We're going to find out who believes it and who does not. Father, we thank you now for this day and this time. We ask for continued blessing on our lives, and particularly the young, that you would keep us, as we see in this chapter of Mark and through the Word of God, that you are Jesus Christ, the God of disease, disorder, of malady. But mostly, Father, you teach our soul salvation. And so we just, with one heart this morning, say that we love you. We're grateful that you love us and have called us and have died for us and already done the things necessary to giving us a life of blessing and joy. Father, we pray this morning we'll not be unfruitful, but we'll be who you called us to be, sharing who you are with the lost and dying world. Help us to be light in a dark place, we pray now in Jesus' name.